Mental Health Monday is an informational podcast and should not be used to replace the specialized training and professional judgment of a healthcare or mental health care professional. Mental Health Monday can't be held responsible for the use of the information provided. Please always consult a trained mental health professional before making any decision regarding treatment of yourself or others. Self-help information and podcasts and information on the internet is useful, but it's not always a substitute for professional assistance. Unless otherwise noted, guests of Mental Health Monday are not doctors or licensed in any way. Our hope is to make a connection with you and be more open and honest about everyone's mental health. Enjoy the podcast. Mental Health Monday! What's up? I'm Riggs, and welcome to another Mental Health Monday. It's a Riggs Off the Radio podcast. I'm Riggs from Riggs and Alley on 103.7 KISS FM in Milwaukee. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty excited about this week's guest for Mental Health Monday. It's a completely different twist on Mental Health Monday, and I really think you're going to like it. I almost want to call this one Brain Health Monday. She is a Yale and Harvard-trained board-certified neuropsychologist, Dr. Michelle Brown. We spend lots of time talking about how your brain reacts to things, maybe with depression or anxiety, sadness, happiness, but how do you keep your brain itself as a organ functioning at a high octane level? How can you improve your memory? And how can you even reduce your risk of Alzheimer's? We'll talk about it all this week with Dr. Michelle Brown for Mental Health Monday. Let's just get right to it. Now, you are a neuropsychologist. Yes. Which is a fascinating term because we talk on Mental Health Monday, this podcast, a lot about how your brain reacts and how you're feeling and how you're thinking. But we don't really talk about your brain itself as the organ. Mm -hmm. And it drives so much of your body. Yes. Everything in, in, your, in your body. So I we, we met in a, uh, in a fitness class, oddly enough. Yep. And uh, I was fascinated by your story. So I wanted to bring you on and talk to you about boosting your brain health and uh, getting like a, a high octane brain, which is what I have from your website. I yes. found that out. Yes. I have a, what does that mean if I have a high octane brain? Is that a good, obviously it's a good thing. It sounds like a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. So it means that your brain is dynamic okay. and that it's high powered and that it's functioning at really strong levels. Well, that's good to know. So what got you started into brain science? Like, Yeah, that's a great question. So it's been an interesting journey. So I remember always being fascinated by how things work mm -hmm. and always wondering just from a scientific perspective, like how the world works, but especially being interested in how people work. Mm -hmm. And so that was something I had always noticed sort of as a child. And then when I was 14, I remember visiting my great aunt at a nursing home and she was down a hallway and I walked down that hallway and I remember seeing kind of a row of people in wheelchairs that were facing the wall and no one was interacting with them. And I just remembered feeling really sad that they were just kind of sitting there. And I yeah. was thinking like, these people have histories and they have lives and they just are not really being engaged with. So it was at that point that I started to wonder a little bit more about like, how did they get there? Why are they not communicating? Why are they not being communicated with? And it was there that I think probably the, the seedlings of interest in brain health started because it turned out a lot of several of them had cognitive issues and dementia. Alzheimer's dementia. Is there what is the main difference between the two? Because you hear them interchanged a lot. You do. I'm sure they're different. Yes. So dementia is an umbrella term, and it basically just means two things. So first, it means that someone has had a cognitive shift or a decline, usually in memory, okay. and that it goes beyond normal age-related decline. And second, it means that that memory shift has 
caused some issue in daily life. It's caused functioning to decline. So we typically measure that in the clinic um, in terms of how is somebody doing with management of things like medications and finances and daily activities. And so to get a diagnosis of dementia, just globally and broadly, you have to meet those two criteria. The next big question And this is what drives the treatment is what caused the dementia. And it becomes very difficult to know that for sure, unless you actually were to biopsy somebody's brain, which we don't do 99.9% of the time. Um, And so that's probably, that's why many times you hear in the media that you can't definitively diagnose Alzheimer's, for example, unless you were to look at it under an autopsy, for example. Um, but about 70% of dementias are caused by Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's basically is a cellular change that occurs at cellular death that occurs due to microscopic abnormalities in the cells. And it usually happens in specific geographic areas. What does that mean in like regular terms? In of? regular terms, that means that all of us have in our brains proteins okay. that do various functions. And for some reason some of those proteins start to glob together and they start to kill the cells around them and they glob together in predictable areas and where they glob together causes specific symptoms for people. And oftentimes the first symptoms of Alzheimer's are memory problems and word finding difficulties. It almost sounds like an autoimmune disease the way you're describing it a little bit. Yeah. I think it's attacking itself. mm -hmm. Yeah. From the standpoint that it is something inherent in the body that goes awry. And the exciting thing though about it is many times, 95% of the time, in fact, we're, we're looking at what we call a late onset Alzheimer's. So symptoms starting after the age of 65. And there's a lot we can actually do to minimize that risk, which people are kind of surprised to hear about. You can minimize the risk of this? Yes. So how? <laughs> which <laughs> so is awesome. How? Yeah, so because, how? yeah. So I think that that's actually one of the most exciting things. And that's what drives a lot of my work is demystifying this idea that's out there that you, you either inherited or you don't. And that's Yes, there is some hereditary risk factor, but there's no hereditary cause for the most common type of Alzheimer's. Okay. And so, yes, you can do a number of different things related to diet, to exercise, to brain exercise. And I spend a lot of time trying to tell people to spend your time doing X and not doing Y Mm -hmm. because so many people come in and they're taking supplements and they're doing online brain games. And they're really well-meaning. They're really trying to strengthen their brain, mm. but they're not usually doing the, the correct thing in terms of getting the best benefit for their time. So what are some things that you can do to kind of boost your brain health a little bit? Because you're saying people mm-hmm. are doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. What are some things that you should be doing then? So number one in its own sort of superordinate category is cardiovascular exercise. Uh. And so everything else I talk about really falls well beneath that in terms of how effective it is um, and how powerful it is. Many factors make a difference, but cardio in particular is helpful because what it does is increases the size of the organ that does much of the remembering for us initially. Can it be any sort of cardio? I mean, just going for a walk, doing a brisk walk, a quick jog or something like that, taking the dog for a walk? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been studied pretty extensively. And you're right. It can be a variety of different types of cardio. What most of the studies have in common is that it should be at a level where you can't speak 
at a consistent um, rate because yeah. your heart rate is up. And also um, that it should be varied. So it shouldn't be the same thing every day. Should usually be about four to five t- days a week, uh, 40 minutes at a time if possible. And that there is some element, um, sometimes a benefit to hit cardio or high intensity interval training. Okay. That's interesting to know that that can help with uh, kind of staving off Alzheimer's or at least curbing mm-hmm. it is what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. It is. Yeah. Um, now, can this do things, can this have benefits for other types of mental disorders, maybe depression or anxiety, PTSD, those types of things? Can this, mm-hmm. can you help with that? Can they help with that, that as well? Yeah. I always call exercise a, a home run for that reason. So I think of first base as, as brain health and second base, definitely depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a lot of the leading treatments for depression in particular, mild to moderate depression responds really well to exercise. And there's a lot of possible reasons for that. It could be endorphins. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is what we call behavioral activation, frankly, where someone's just getting out there and moving, even though they might not feel like it, you make yourself do it. Yeah. Um, so it can be very effective, especially for depression. And then sleep, um, is, is another area that really benefits and then Mm -hmm. overall cardiovascular health and lots of chronic, other chronic conditions, cancer, diabetes, et cetera. So we talk about a lot about having a healthy brain. What makes a brain unhealthy? What are some things you can do? What are some things that people may be doing that are giving their brain poor health? A lot of it comes down to a lack of doing what we know is good for you. So people who are sedentary, for example, we know that vascular risk factors are a huge risk for Alzheimer's. And by that, I mean someone who might have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Now those are pretty common for a lot of folks. And so it's not cause to panic, but most of the time people don't necessarily know that that actually can impact brain health. And so managing those things really well can set your brain in a, in a healthier trajectory. Are there things you can do for memory recall? Cause I've been to your website and you talk a lot about, you know, when you're looking to find words and you're having trouble finding words, mm-hmm. what is that about? Yeah. And that's interesting. So word finding difficulties happen for the average person six times a day. So it's really common. Um, And so a lot of it is what I call brain blips. So a lot of word finding difficulties, forgetting commonly used items. Those are things all of us experience. Uh, Where are my keys? Yeah, exactly. That's everything. Where's my wallet? Right, right. And a lot of those are actually attentional blips too. So it it can happen a lot when we're multitasking or Mm -hmm. we're thinking of something different. And word finding in particular um, happens a lot when we are in the midst of a conversation, especially when we want to be precise and we have a perfect word, for example, that we're trying to get to and retrieve and we can't. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I include a number of tips in those situations because it, it's bothersome. When Dude, you I work on the radio. Yourself. It happens all the time. Yeah, it happens to, to me all the time. I'm too. in the moment and I have to say something. I'm like, what is the word I'm looking for? And then later I'm like, ah, that was it. Yeah, Catastrophe. <laughs> that was the word I was trying to say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Faux pas. That's what I was trying to say. And what you're saying is um, such a common experience that a lot of times it comes to you later. Uh, are there brain exercises that we can do on our own? These are like simple brain exercises. You said people come in and they play games and people are doing like online brain games because yeah. people think this is something I can do for my brain. Mm-hmm. Are those beneficial at all? Like little games and memory type games on your phone? Things um, you can find in the app store that are easy to do because we're on our phones all the time. Not not, not strongly beneficial, frankly. Right. Um, and the reason that that's the case, which is surprising to a lot of people, is they lack transfer to the real world. And so 
most of the time people do those games and they, they get better at them. Like anybody would get better even at a video game or any game, not even brain focused. Right. The more we do things, the more that information is strengthened in our brain and we mm-hmm. just get stronger at it. So the problem is that even if people are getting better at those games, they're not necessarily translating that to remembering their grocery list better or remembering the person's name who they just met any better. The meaningful things that mm-hmm. are the reason that drove them to do the games usually in the first place. What's the best way to remember somebody's name? I'm the worst at that. <laughs> I always try to think of a mnemonic device or something like Michelle, I'll go Michelle the bell or think of something to kind of remember it. Is there anything that people can do to remember things like that? Yeah. Little small things every day. Yes. So usually with names, trying to link it to a name of somebody you already know okay. is really helpful. So I often do that as I'm learning someone's name. I think of a person who has the same name and I purposely picture linking both of them together. That's the first thing is you want to link it to something strongly embedded already. Essentially, you don't want to lay down a new memory. It's too much work to do it. And so if you're just chaining it on, linking it to something that already exists, the file's already been completed and and created. So you're just adding something to it. You're adding a piece of paper to it. The second thing is rehearsal. So you definitely want to rehearse it. And oftentimes what I do when I'm meeting somebody is I'll just say their name back to them, like, nice to meet you, and sure. uh, whoever, you know. And that is an that is expected kind of socially to be an opportunity for the person to correct you if mm-hmm. it's not correct, and, and it's also a way to rehearse it. One thing that I used to do was I would ask, how do you spell your name if I would forget someone's name? Uh-huh. And then meet them a second time, and I would go, how do you spell your name? And she would be like, Jen. Yeah. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I know. I've done that too. <laughs> now I feel stupid. I was trying to use it as a clever way for you to go, oh, G-E-N or yeah, something yeah. different. Um, so you do, um, I noticed that you do some speaking engagements as well. Like uh-huh. you'll go and you'll speak to, where do you speak at? And what kind of speaking engagements do you do? I typically speak uh, to folks who have cognitive issues or concerns. A lot of the audience is baby boomers and people who, and, and interestingly, actually, more and more younger folks are interested in just understanding how to promote brain health because there's been an increasing focus on not just not getting Alzheimer's or minimizing the risk, but also how do we look for peak performance opportunities? And so more and more of the audience seems to be skewing a little bit younger, but um, it's either usually through the Alzheimer's Association or through various community organizations, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot through the hospital as well. Okay. Uh, are there foods that you can eat that are good for your brain? I know <laughs> they say that omega-3s, that's the big buzz thing that's good for your brain. Is that a really something that's good for your brain? Or what it are is. some of the foods that you can eat that are good for your brain health? That's a great question, especially because there are a lot of diets out there that are really questionable in that people um, who follow them, again, well-meaningly end up having sometimes vitamin deficiencies because they're taking out whole food groups, for example, like carbs, for example, um, healthy whole, whole grains are good for the brain in general. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite diets that has the most support is something called the mind diet, M I N D. And it's a diet out of rush university and it has really stood the test of time with lots of studies. So people who followed that diet for four years had a 53% reduced risk of Alzheimer's Really, and people who followed it for 10 years had a seven and a half slowing of their cognitive aging. And the good news about it is it involves a lot of the foods we typically hear about that are healthy. So it's Mediterranean style based. Mm. It's kind of like Mediterranean diet meets the dash diet for heart health. And then on top of that, brain healthy foods. So lean meats like um, turkey, chicken, fish, um, dark green leafy vegetables and other vegetables, beans, nuts, uh, red wine. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So there's 10 food groups you want to try to maximize. And what I also like about the mind diet, you asked before, what do we sometimes, what can we do unwittingly to create unhealthy brains? Well, eating the five food groups that they talk about minimizing is Mm -hmm. what some of us can do. So um, fried foods is an area that we want to try to minimize. Um, High sugar foods like pastries and sweets. Also red meat. And then I hate to say it, but cheese and oh, butter are on the list. All the good stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> and it's not like you can't eat those sure. foods. You just want to minimize them. It's not what you do some of the time. It's what you do most of the time. Yeah, That's exactly. what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. What were the diets that you, did you not want to name any that are the ones that to avoid? Well, I would They're say. Not the, to avoid. Yeah. I think any, any diet's good in moderation, but diets are always set for failure. You can't spell diet without die and it always dies. I think it's all about a lifestyle change. It's about how you live. You're right. And doing something consistently. So, yeah, absolutely. There... And that's part of why I like the Mediterranean diet yeah. in particular um, for brain health or variants of it because it's realistic and mm-hmm. it is something that you can easily create a lifestyle around. I'd say the the biggest diets that I see that are problematic are those that, again, kind of exclude full groups of foods, like no dairy, no carbs. Um, and so those, a lot of times people aren't necessarily doing those for brain health. They might be doing that for overall body health, mm-hmm. but they might notice that they're just not as mentally sharp. They might feel a little bit more sluggish on those diets. Tell me three things, like three of the most important things you could do for a healthier brain. What, what would you say those would be? I'd say at the top of the list would be cardiovascular exercise, mm-hmm. four to five times a week, 40 minutes with a lot of variety. The second would be learning as much as you can about as many different topics that are of interest to you and always kind of pushing past um, any kind of barriers that you might experience and questions. So I say seek out head scratching moments. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, there's a very strong relationship between educational level and how much we learn and how resistant we are to getting dementia. And then the third factor would be um, diet as I think that there, there has been so much strong information on how helpful that can be. So those would be the top three. And they seem like pretty common things that mm-hmm. pretty much anybody can do. It yep. doesn't, you're not really restricted by money or anything like that. It's something that pretty much anybody can do. You can come to a library and learn something if you wanted to. Right. Is, are reading books different than getting digital books? like Kindles or anything like that for, as far as the brain, as mm-hmm. far as taking in information? Is there a difference? There's a good, that's a good question. I think that the biggest difference probably is the medium um, in terms of the blue light, you know, that, that accompanies more of the digital books. A lot of times people read during downtime. Mm-hmm. And so we know that that blue light can interfere with sleep quality, especially if it's an hour before bed. So that's something to consider. I think there's also a tactile element. I think the more multi-sensory you can make any activity. So when you're turning the pages of a book and you're reading it, there's something just a little bit more engrossing about that for a lot of people. I agree. Yeah. There's something different to reading a book than just tapping a page. Turn yeah. it. I feel like I'm getting more out of it when I'm yeah. sitting down with the book. Maybe I'm old fashioned like that, but that's fine. That's the way that I am. Well, it's interesting because our, you know, our, our bodies are not only visual, but we're, we're, if we're simultaneously tactile and feeling the pages and able to kind of turn back and forth, and we can review things also a lot more quickly and easily that way too. Absolutely. So I'm going to put your information in the, the description of this podcast, drmichellebraun.com, so people can reach out to you. They can take your brain quiz and they can find out how they're doing with their brain health as well. Uh, I think it's fascinating what you're doing and thank you for all the work that you do in the mental health field because it's amazing working with people with dementia and Alzheimer's, which is important to a lot of people and their parents and I'm sure and their grandparents 
grandparents. So thank you for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Or Dr. Brown. (laughs) Dr. Brown, yeah. Dr. Brown. You went to school for a long time. I'm not just going to call you Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) You paid a lot of money to be called Dr. Brown. Thanks. I like to get comfortable with my guests, but if you're a doctor, I'm going to call you a doctor. You get it? All right. So drmichellebrown.com. It's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E Brown, B-R-A-U-N.com. Right on the homepage, you can take your brain health quiz and find out how your brain is operating. See, wasn't that a different take on Mental Health Monday? You got to keep your brain healthy. We'll see you next time. Mental Health Monday is a Riggs Off the Radio podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day, your night, your afternoon, your weekend, whatever you're doing. And remember, make good life decisions. We'll be right back.